to, I'm just going to share a, a, a shorter message this morning than I normally would. Uh, we've been in Philippians, and uh, uh, we're in chapter 4 today, and I'm really excited to get back into Philippians. And so Paul's writing a letter, he's from prison in Rome, he's writing letters to his friends at Philippi. Uh, geographically, this is the top part of what Greece uh, is today, and uh, up, <clears throat> up near Macedonia, uh, by Turkey, and and so he's writing a letter to his friends. He doesn't know when his life is going to end. It could end at any moment. Um, he knows this. And so put yourself in his place that what would you tell your friends? What would you tell those that you dearly, dearly love? What would be some of the last instructions, some of the last just important stuff that you would want them to know? This, this is the context. This is what we're looking at. And what he tells them is he wants them, there's some right stuff that they need to have in their life. And he wants them to get this. He wants them to grasp this. And so I've titled this morning's sermon, The Right Stuff. And so I'm a kid of the 80s, right? So that was when, like, a child of the 80s, that's, that's, that's my reference point. I remember a movie called The Right Stuff. Uh, that's how I learned about NASA, uh, was from Hollywood, you know, because I wasn't around when we went to the moon. And, and so... So I remember the right stuff. I remember the story of that movie. Here's a picture, not from the movie, but the original um, astronauts on Apollo. And then I was Google searching images. I came across this Lego one that I just thought was awesome. And I just had to throw it up there because I just think it's cool. But one of the things that I realized uh, just recently, and a lot of us have just recently realized this, um, is a movie called Hidden Figures that came out. Anybody see the movie Hidden Figures? Oh, it's fantastic. Like, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't, if you haven't saw the movie, you need to see it. And, and so it's a story of three um, African-American ladies. Uh, these are the actresses, um, obviously not the actual ladies, but um, and who are they're, they're math geniuses, okay? And, and it's a great story just of the struggle of African-Americans, a struggle of ladies um, in the 60s. Uh, 50s and 60s, 70s, I mean, even on, honestly, even until today. And, and, and so they're, they're ostracized, they're, they're treated differently, they're put aside. But they realize that unless they have the mathematical, okay, I don't want to like, okay, spoiler alert here, but they, un, unless they do the mathematical uh, computations, they're not, they're not going to be able to, NASA is not going to be able to do what NASA needs to do. And, and it's, so it's a story of, of them um, surfacing to the top of this organization and just an amazing thing. And it's, I'm so great, um, so glad this information has come available. I, had never, I was never exposed to it. But we understand that there's a phrase that we used of having the right stuff, that our astronauts had the right stuff to make it to the moon. These ladies had the right stuff. It was behind the scenes, like nobody knew what was going on, but they had the right stuff for great things to happen. And for great things to happen in our life, uh, for us to be great people, and I say great people, I'm not talking about famous, I'm not talking about rich, I'm talking about great in spirit, great in character, great in quality, great in influence, uh, being who God has called us to be. As we're to be great people, it takes the right stuff in our life. And so we have that in Philippians chapter 4. And so there's four things we're going to talk about. I'm talking about two this week and two next week out of Philippians chapter 4. The first thing that we see is right relationships. Right relationships. In fact, Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 says this. It says, Therefore, uh, my brothers and my sisters... Brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for. You see this relational aspect here that Paul has with, with those he loves. And, and, and um, 
in Philippi. I mean, he loved these. This is his church family. Like, he loves them. There is, is the metaphor here of brother and sister is being used. Of There's relationship here. And as we think about that, it's such an applicable metaphor for church and for relationships that look at those around you. This is your church family. And, and this is the extended family, right? And half of our family's not even here today, like their first service. And, and well, probably a third, another third are, are traveling, graduations, other types of stuff. But, right, but we have our fusion groups, and our fusion groups are like, our, are, are like the uh, immediate family, right? All of us are in larger family, but then we have immediate family. And so it is here in the church. We have our larger church family, but then we have our immediate family, which is our fusion groups. And in fact, our fusion groups launch again next week. And there's a, there's a catalog in your bulletin. They're on our app. If you don't have our app, Grace Church. Uh, you can get in the App Store or on the, or Android Market. And in fact, there's sermon notes you can follow along with as well. But you can find a fusion group. You can sign up for one. That is to be our immediate family because we all need family. And, and even in church, we need family. So he says here, my dear brothers and sisters, this is, you can see the love he has for them. He goes, you're my joy and my crown. You're my reward. And, and he, he'll stand firm in the Lord in this way. And, and that's what Paul, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, the same thing as he's wrapping that letter up. Stand firm in the Lord. That part of our walk with the Lord is just standing firm. It's not fancy. It's not flashy. It's just a, a, a thing of just a faithfulness of standing in who we are in the Lord and standing in His Word. And he tells us that. And then he does something that is so out of the ordinary for Paul. It's really amazing. He, 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 he illustrates two ladies in this text, uh, Yodai and uh, Sintake. I, I have trouble with these names. Uh, they're, they're, they're hard for me to pronounce. Jill and Betty would have been easier, but they didn't use those words then. But what they mean in the original is, is success and lucky. Uh, they were Greek names. They uh, were probably early um, women that came to Christ when they planted the church. And you, know, you can read in Acts where, uh, I think it's Acts 14, I think, is where the church at Philippi was planted. Uh, they, they, uh, Paul is, is there by a river outside the city. The, there's God-fearing ladies, although they don't know Jesus yet. Uh, they come to Christ and they start a church. The jailer um, is part of the beginning of that church plant. And God just does amazing things in that city. So these ladies are important ladies in the church. Like they're well known. They're, um, they're not, and when I say they're important, it's, they're important because of their, their role. They were leaders in the church. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's questions about women in leadership. But we see right here a clear example of this where Paul said, Hey, Paul says, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. He wasn't over them. He was alongside of them. They were his peers. They led. Um, uh, we know there's a, a female leader of the church um, at, at Philippi. And, and, and so the, this, and, and this probably wasn't just a personal issue between these two ladies. This was probably something that had to do with the preaching of the gospel, had to do with the way ministry was being done. But it's amazing what Paul does is because he just calls them on it, Right? And Paul doesn't normally do this, uh, but he calls them on the carpet. Like, he brings it out in the open. You know how bold this is? I mean, be like me this morning. If I knew there was a relational issue between two people here, I have you stand up, right? And I say, hey, you two, you guys need to work this out. Like, you need to get the mind of the Lord. And, and you, you over here, you help them. Because they need some help in this. I mean, what would you guys do if I did that, right? You'd like, you'd freak out, wouldn't you? I mean, like, what? 
What, what right does he have to do that? Right? I mean, it would be scary, wouldn't it? Well, I think they probably felt that way. But he, wasn't, he did this because he loved them. Because the gospel was at stake. There's something going on that was causing conflict within the church here. And it needed to be resolved for the sake of the gospel. And he says his true companion, which uh, scholars tell us is probably Luke. Uh, he left Luke there, and Luke was trying to help navigate this, worked it out. But he goes, ladies, work this out because the gospel is at stake. And so what I want, us to, illust- what I want to illustrate this morning is, is some of the very foundational things that we have to have right in our life are relationships. Relationships have to be right. Paul said, as much as it's up to me, I'm at peace with all men. So is there a relationship in your life that's, that's not right? Is there something between you and, and somebody else that you need to go to them and you need to make it right? And you know, we don't, have you ever noticed we don't, we don't make things right by trying to convince somebody else that we're right? Or try to convince them to have the same mind of something that we have? That, it just doesn't work, does it? We have to find what do we have in common? What can we agree on? And what Paul is saying here is that the kingdom of God, the gospel, is higher than any issue that you have. That compared to the gospel, to compared to Jesus being proclaimed for the good news of Jesus, of what he has done in Philippi, what he's doing around the world at that time, it's like this has to be proclaimed and people are watching their lives. He's telling that. And so, and, and I think, I mean, this text is so applicable today that Republicans and Democrats, oh Lord, here he goes. <laughs> There's something greater. There's something greater. And it's found as having the mind of Christ, which goes back to goes back to Philippians 2, where he said, have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? He did not consider it robbery to, to, to give up his divine privilege to come and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. And so humility, humility, humility is the key of being like-minded in Christ. And so this morning, are there some relationships in your life that, that need to be made right, that need to be addressed? That's one. The second one, that, and, but before I finish that, it's real important for us to note the very last sentence at the bottom. The Lord is near. Okay, the Lord is near. So let's go to verse 6. This is right praying. Right praying. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this is right praying. And what do I mean by right praying? I'm not trying to say, well, there's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. What I'm trying to say is that we need to have our relationships right, and then we need to be engaged in our prayer life. That, that we need to be people of prayer. Not like people of prayer, like we need to be like you better be, like you ought to be, like you're not praying enough, right? Because when, when do you ever pray enough, right? I mean, what is that magical line that you would cross? I, I've never crossed it, right? When is ever enough? But as we, let's go back to that text as well. But, but he says, whatever's going on, don't be anxious about it. Don't be worried about it. Do you know 85% uh, statistically of what you worry about you have no control over. Very little. You're just worried about all these kinds of things. And, and really, I mean, fear and worry is... And really, those two things are like twin brothers. Fear and worry. In fact, I read a, 
I read a survey, it was from October 2016 from USA Today, and it was just surveying our nation on, on top, top fears, top worries. What are people worried about? What are people stressed about? And it's about, um, you know, relationships, um, fear of, of uh, worry about people getting sick or family members dying, uh, corruption in government, uh, finances, personal and, na- and national, uh, terrorism, um, those, you know, those, those are the issues people are worried about. And the, the bottom line was it said that what people worry about is what they cannot, what they cannot control. And, and isn't that true that really, and, and this was from USA Today, but I was looking like, that's true. Like, it's the things that we can't control that we begin to be worried about and anxious about. And, and that's not the way the Lord has intended it. Because He is near, because He is near, we don't have to worry. Because He is near, we don't have to be anxious. But we can pray about everything in every situation. See, what prayer is, is saying, Lord, I trust You. Prayer is a statement. Prayer is a lifestyle. Prayer is a decision. That I, I, I can't fix this myself. I wouldn't even want to fix it if I could because I don't even know what to do. But Lord, I trust You. You are good. I understand who You are. And I'm inviting You in. Help me, Jesus. And being a person of prayer and seeing uh, whatever it is, whatever it is that our first response would be to pray. And he says, but in every situation, so what does that cover, right? In every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Well, I, I looked those up, and really, there, there's not that much difference in the original language of these words. It's just reiterating. Pray, uh, have supplication, present your request to the Lord, just keep at it, that it's a continual thing. It's not a one and done. Okay, it's continually walking in the presence of the Lord and presenting our needs to Him. And as we do that, we do it with an attitude of thanksgiving, of being grateful people. See, thanksgiving is a posture. Thanksgiving is an attitude of, I'm just thankful, Lord. Thanksgiving is not thanking Him in advance for gifts that you're asking for Him or things you're asking for Him to do in your life. In advance, that's not thanksgiving. What thanksgiving is, it's like, well, if I'm thankful enough, Lord, you'd do that for me. That's not what Thanksgiving is. What Thanksgiving is, Lord, I'm thankful for who you are. Lord, right now, in this situation, I'm not, it's not saying I'm giving thanks for the stuff, but I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your provision. I'm thankful for who you are. God, you are a good God. God, you are full of generosity. Lord, you are trustworthy. And so it's a thankfulness that regardless of what's going on, I'm thankful, Lord. I'm appreciative, Lord. I, 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 have, I want to have that heart before you, God. You know, with our kids, if we look at prayer and compare it to conversation with our kids, because that's really what it is, a conversation with our Heavenly Father, that's why that metaphor is used, is, is what, what really makes a difference in a conversation with our, with our kids or us, us kids with parents? What, what's what is really, what makes a good conversation versus a, a not good conversation, right? Because you have different conversations with a three-year-old, with a 10-year-old, with a 20-year-old, with a 40-year-old. They're all different based on different stages. And so if we just look at our prayer based upon how eloquent it is or how complex it is, I mean, that's not what the basis is. What I believe the basis is, is attitude. Is attitude. Imagine Imagine conversations with your kids where there's a thankful attitude. How many of you know those go different than conversations with entitled attitudes? I mean, at least in my house, that's all I'm saying, right? But when there's just thankfulness, 
when there's just an appreciation and, and of an understanding. And I know in our immaturity, we don't fully understand all God's done for us, just like our kids don't understand all we've done for them. I get that. But we begin to understand, and we begin to express just thankfulness. And we begin to pray. We begin to pray. And when we pray, God is near. We draw close to Him. He draws close to us. And we, we pray in the peace of God. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, which blows our mind. Now, that means we can't fully understand it. We can't fully describe it. But it also means that it transcends earthly understanding. That there's an aspect of peace that until you are following Christ, until He is Lord of your life, as testimony was given of those in South Africa that came to Christ. I know last week in jail, our jail ministry, ten ladies came to Christ last week. And when you experience Christ in this way, you begin to have a peace and understand peace that, you, that people that don't have Jesus just can't understand. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I'm here to tell you there's a peace that I can't explain. There's a peace that I can't put into words that is available, but it's only available in Jesus. And once you're in Him, and He's in you, that, that, that comes alive and you, you're, you're open to it. And it's, it's, it transcends earthly understanding. And, and I know that can sound kind of mystical. I'm not trying to be mystical. It's just God, the, who God is, can't, we can't wrap our earthly minds around all that. He's, he's, how many glad we serve a God that's greater than our earthly minds can understand, Right? Because if I could fully grasp him, he wouldn't be much of a God. I'm just, that's what I'm saying. So, so this peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so this peace happens within. Peace is not based on circumstances, okay? Our joy cannot be based on circumstances. Because that's, that's crazy. It's just up and down. But it's what's in here. And it happens in here because the Lord is near. Because we're people of prayer. We're in right relationship. And, and this peace just comes. And it guards our hearts. And it keeps us from becoming offended. It keeps us from becoming bitter. It keeps us from becoming angry. It's a guard. This prayer is a guard. And we get angry at somebody. We pray. We say, Jesus, help me, help me handle this. Help me respond well. Help me with this. In difficult situations, when we pray, the thoughts that flood our mind, the peace of God protects our mind from the thousands of thoughts between, you see, anxiety and worry and all that happens in a place between hope, what we're hoping for, the best case scenario, and fear of the worst case scenario. So we live in between this hope and fear, and that place is worry. And when we're caught in there, it just, it, it just, it actually, do you know what? It strangles us. Do you know that's one of the actual um, original old English words for anxiety or worry is actually strangle? And it comes from the, from when they would have wolves that would attack lambs. And they would attack them, they would clamp on and they would strangle. They'd strangle sheep and kill them. And that's the word that's used for worry. That it strangles you. It just sucks the life out of you. And you've been there, haven't you? You know it. Like you've experienced that. And the antidote is prayer. The, not religious formulated prayer. It's being honest with Jesus. And spending time with Him. And so allowing its worship. It's singing to Him. It's, it's reorientating ourselves to Him. And He is near. And when we begin to comprehend that and understand that in our hearts and in our lives, 
then it transforms us and it guards our hearts and our minds in Jesus. And then our worry, it turns into worship. It turns into worship. And so, these are really foundational aspects of right relationships and right praying. When, when Heather and I lived in West Plains, uh, we had the opportunity to build our, we custom build a home. It was an amazing opportunity. We loved it. Uh, we were able to build our dream house. And as we did this, we had a certain budget. And we had a fantastic general contractor. And our general contractor, he helped us walk through the steps of planning the house. And, and he gave us some great advice. He said, because you know, like you only have so much money, right? And you have to tell yourself that over and over again when you're building a house because there's so many uh, change orders you can do. There's so, I mean, it's unlimited, right? I mean, we're, it's America. Just go to Lowe's and Home Depot, right? There's all kinds of amazing things you can do in homes. And so as we were building our home, he convinced us that the best place that we could put our money is in the things that really mattered. And we had to make a decision. Uh, and so... He, he, he told us, he said, you know, carpet can be replaced. Countertops can be replaced. Walls can be repainted. But you only got one shot at a foundation. Your framing has to be right. Your wiring and your plumbing, you don't want to skimp there, right? And we had to have the right bones. And then the rest, you know, it came together. It just came together. And I think our lives are like that. I think that's what Paul's saying is that we need those right foundational things in our life. And when we have those right foundational things, things like being in right relationship with others, things like being engaged in the Lord in prayer and His peace just protecting us and guarding us and providing for us to walk through. If we have those things in our life, and I'll talk about a couple more next week, then the rest of the stuff, it'll be all right. right? We, can, we can take care of that. But let's get the main, those main things going right fixed in our life all right let's let's pray